0: Um, I'm going to open up uh, this message on creation versus evolution with a poem that is written by a man named Emil Zwain. So, this is what it says Who can tell me where I came from? The little boy would ask. His question was a good one, yet he faced a trying task. Each man had different answers as he was soon to learn, and this brought him great confusion and it caused a deep concern. He first went to schoolmates and they spoke with one another, and the smartest of the bunch said, you came from your mother. Now this had satisfied him, yet only for a time, for as he grew in years of age, his thoughts began to climb. At all that he could see in his mind began to wonder how it had all become to be. He thought about the cosmos and the infinitude of space and every star and planet that exists in every place. He thought about the rounded earth spinning in rotation and all four seasons that occur in yearly circulation. He thought about the darkness and he thought about the light and he thought about the sun and moon that help the day and night. He thought of all the creatures of the land and sea and skies, of all the different species and their variance in size. He thought of all the plants and trees and all that each provides, each growing from a tiny seed, the roots, the soil hides. He then looked at humanity with all the different faces, different tongues and characters and all the different races. He thought of mortal bodies with features so profound, all the senses, taste and touch And smell and sight and sound. He thought of reproduction and the miracle of birth, and he thought of human life itself and all that it is worth. He then considered human will, weak and also strong. He thought about the conscience that discerns from right and wrong. He thought about emotions and feelings that arise. He thought about the love and hate and tears that flow from eyes. He thought about the anger and the joy that does abound. He thought about the happiness and sadness that's found. And filled with curiosity, this boy would daily strive in hopeful expectation that his answer would arrive. He spoke with scientific men who claimed his answer solved. They told him of a real big bang and that all things evolved. He then spoke with philosophers, and many did insist that there's no reality and nothing does exist. He spoke with many people from various groups and sects, and he heard the vast opinions of various intellects. Now, baffled by confusion, you have a troubled youth who is unable to discern what is error and what is truth. He almost gave up looking, but then he took a second look. And he very unexpectedly found a special book. As he opened up the first page, the mystery came undone, and all of his questions were answered in Genesis chapter 1. With a nod of understanding, he smiled so elated, for now he surely knew that in the beginning, God created. Creation versus evolution is this debate that has been going on for decades now. Probably longer than I have been alive, this debate has been around. And Christians who believe in the word of God, that is the Bible, it is important that we engage in discussions and debates such as these. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it states... But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And that word there, uh, given answer, is apologia in the Greek. And apologia means uh, a defense. That's what it means. And we're not apologizing for being a Christian, but we are standing up for and defending what we believe. And we tend to leave the apologetics to PhDs. We tend to leave the apologetics to those who have studied the fields and subjects for years. And when asked these questions by unbelieving friends and even believers and even youth and even children, we often struggle with an answer to give them to provide the hope that is in us. And what First Peter is telling us is not to leave these debates And discussions to PhDs, but to study and engage in these discussions and debates ourselves. So we're all called to apologetics. That's part of being a Christian, defending what we believe. So it's time we all begin to study a little bit more. It's time we all begin to dig deep a little bit more. And it's time we begin to look at the hard things through a biblical lens. And we're and due to the, the, just the absolute monstrosity of the debate of creation versus evolution, there is no way that I can cover all of this in one single teaching on a Sunday morning, but I am going to do the very best that I can. And there are tons of debate videos out there, and I would encourage you to watch them, listen to them, take notes. Some of you just went to the Ark last week, and that is an incredible resource for you to be able to figure out uh, what creation is and what evolution is, and we're going to get into some of these debates this morning. However, I need to tell you that I'm not an expert on this topic, and I've not studied this topic for years, but I have done the most digging into this uh, subject that I've ever done in my entire life these past couple of weeks. So I've consulted a lot of resources that I've got, and what I'm doing this morning is I'm going to share with you the research that I have done over the course of many, many hours. And so my goal is to teach you what creation is so that when we engage in conversations, we're not just going based off of a Sunday school understanding of what we've got, but we are going based off of, okay, we are here now, we are adults, what does the Bible say, what does the word say, or the world say, and then how do we divide truth rightly? So, it's been my prayer that I'm able to teach you this in a way that's clear and uh, makes sense. So, that's preface number one. Preface number two is uh, creation was a rather simple concept to grasp. That's what I've been taught my whole life. It's what you've probably been taught your whole life. And the tough part was figuring out what exactly evolution is because I was always told growing up in Sunday school and all that stuff that evolution's just wrong. Why is evolution wrong? It's just wrong. Okay. And so now we take that into our adult life, and people want to engage in a conversation with us, and rather than being apologetic and defending, we just tell them, I just know that evolution's wrong. That doesn't always work, folks. So I'm here to give you a lot of tools to help you with this. And there are definitions within the definition of evolution that seems like nobody can agree on or are never solidified. So it seems like the definition of evolution is always evolving, if you will. So it's kind of hard to navigate these things. So I'm going to do the best I can to simplify these terms, um, but I'm going to be as thorough as I can with explaining to you these things so that we are aware of what we believe as Christians and what the world is trying to teach your kids in the school system right now. And I'm going to help you with that a lot this morning, I believe. So what is creation? That's point number one. What is creation? This is the definition of creation. Creation creation is the freely purposed work of God outside of himself who has produced out of nothing the universe and all that is in it. That is the definition of creation. In other words, the creation of the universe out of nothing is a totally free act of God. God did not need to create, but God chose to create. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 states, "...worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." The Greek word for will is thelema, and thelema means a choice, a desire, a pleasure, a will. So in other words, God did not need to create. God was not forced to create. God created the universe out of his own will, his own choice, his own desire, and his own pleasure. Are we on the same page right now? Okay, now we're going to get into evolution and what evolution is. To lay the basis for this, Charles Darwin is the poster boy of evolution. In 1859, Darwin wrote his book, The Origin of Species, which has made evolution so popular today, right? The Origin of Species is what you will frequently hear Darwin's book referred to as. By the way, this is the complete title of Darwin's book, The origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races and the struggle for life. But that's the part that they don't tell you. The word evolution is used in different ways, which is why it's very important for us to define these terms so that it is clear what terms are being used. So, we're going to talk about microevolution, Sometimes evolution is being used to talk about microevolution, and this is the definition. Evolutionary change within a species or a small group of organisms, especially over a short period. I thought we were at church, not science class. I understand, but it is completely important for us to understand the science so that we can tell them why God created it. There is countless evidence of microevolution happening today, and I would not deny that they exist, and you would not deny that they exist. So, I think a better term for microevolution is adaptation. And adaptation is the action or process of adapting or being adapted. So, now that we've defined the terms, I'm going to give you some examples. Because of humans, breeding different dogs and the genetic variability within the canine kind, there are multiple dog breeds. And each one of them are extremely different from the other. We would all agree on this. However, the fact still remains that they are still dogs and they have not changed into a fundamentally different creature. So, my small... 10-pound Boston Terrier is as much of the canine kind as a wolf is. Two different species, same kind. Another example of microevolution or adaptation is, we'll just use Darwin's example. Darwin goes to the Galapagos Islands, and he notices that the beaks of the finches are different. Some finches had beaks that were long and pointed to serve well for snatching up insects, and some finches had beaks that were broad and blunt to serve for cracking seeds and nuts. These Galapagos finches could interbreed with each other, and guess what? They would provide a finch. Imagine that. What is the point that I'm trying to tell you? The point is that God preplanned for adaptation and created the finch and other kinds of animals with all of the necessary genetic information for that animal to adapt to its environment. So why do we not have alligators living in the Midwest natively? because they do not have the necessary genetic information to adapt to the Midwest. In order for a bird to turn into a reptile, it would require genetically new information that does not appear in the bird in the first place. Therefore, it's impossible. So microevolution or adaptation is evolutionary change within a kind. It does not produce a new kind. The fish kind cannot reproduce the human kind. The dog kind cannot reproduce the lizard kind or reptile kind. However, This definition and this word is not the sense in which the word evolution is normally used when discussing creation versus evolution. This is the term that is most likely used, macroevolution. And according to Darwin, Darwin defined evolution, macroevolution, as descent with modification. The idea that species change over time, give rise to new species, and share a common ancestor. Another definition would be macroevolution is the theory that various life forms have evolved from simpler life forms, often coupled with a theory of common descent that claims all forms of biological life have evolved from one simple organism. So in other words, evolutionists believe that given enough time and random processes, life will be created. And all life is traced back to a common ancestry of one common cell. That is, deers, ducks, turkeys, fish, humans, all have the same common ancestry of one common cell. So, the last time that I checked, when I was at a Christmas dinner, a bear did not walk through the door and tell him that he was related to me. It didn't happen. You don't have... A relative who is a lizard or a finch or a fish. There's no evidence for macroevolution, that is, one kind evolving into a, an entirely new kind. There's no evidence for that. From this is the point from order comes creation, from time and random processes comes disorder. The Evidence Bible, Irrefutable Evidence of the Thinking Mind. This is what it states. Take the er, there's a, stati- a statistician in there, his name is George Gallup. This is what he said. I could prove I could prove God statistically. Take the human body alone. The chance that all, the chance that all the functions of the individual would just happen is a statistical monstrosity. This is what I want to read to you from the Evidence Bible because I thought this was extremely good and put this into perspective for us. This is a block quote that I've got for you from it. Did, do, you have, do you give a baby credit for having the ability to grow its own teeth? How do you have both sets of yours? If you ever decide to get false teeth, will you have them made or will you wait for chance to make a pair for you? How is it that your lungs keep breathing irrespective of your will. In fact, becoming conscious of it can hinder the process. Lungs seem to work best without any conscious thought from the mind. How does your subconscious mind continually feed you with thoughts even when you sleep? Listen to it talk to you and keep you company. It never stops. Try and stop it yourself. Your subconscious mind has been set in motion and it has little to do with your will. Think of the complexities of the human mind. It is feeding your understanding with knowledge right now and automatically filing it into your memory bank. Right at this moment, right now, your liver, kidneys, heart, pancreas, and salivary glands, etc., are all working to keep your body going. You don't even have the power to switch them off and on. During, Check this out. During your sleep tonight, your heart will pump 75 gallons of blood through your body each hour. Your lungs are designed to filter oxygen out of the air you breathe. These organs contain 300 billion tiny blood vessels called capillaries. Your entire blood system will wash through your lungs once every minute. In your lifetime, the marrow marrow in your bones will create approximately half a ton of red corpuscles. You have focusing muscles in your eyes that move an estimated 100,000 times each day. That same eye within it has a retina that covers less than a square inch and contains 137 million light-sensitive cells. Charles Darwin said this himself. This is a quote from Charles Darwin. To suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. Genesis 125. What's the Bible say about all of this stuff? What's the Bible say? And God made the beasts of the earth according to their what? And the livestock according to what? And everything that creeps on the ground according to what? And God saw that it was what? Genesis 1 uses the phrase according to their kind 10 times. Some have taken this to mean that the Bible is saying that there's a fixity of the species, that is, that God created every single species and that none of the species ever change. That is not what Scripture is saying. Scripture is saying, though, that there's microevolution, and that that's in fact true, and God put every gene necessary in an animal to adapt to the environment that it is fit to be in. The word kind in the Hebrew is mean, and this term cannot be put on the same level that we put the modern word species on, and if you look at the example of Leviticus chapter 11, verse 17 through 18, it says this. The little owl, the cormorant, which is a different bird, but this is the point that I'm showing you: the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl. This passage is showing you, and it's teaching us, that the Bible recognizes different types or species of guess what, of, of owls, And guess what? They're still owls. Those different types or species of owls are still within the owl kind. They are fundamentally not a new kind. They're an owl. They're a different species or type of owl. In other words, the Bible teaches the fixity of species in the sense that each biblical kind can only reproduce within certain fixed boundaries. In other words, change can occur within a kind. And the Bible allows for this change or variations within plants and animals. However, the Bible is telling us that there is a certain amount of change possible. Dogs cannot mate with crocodiles. Cats cannot mate with fish. And so on. And some might throw in this argument too. Well, what about a liger or a zorse? Have you ever heard of those before? Okay, for those of you who don't know what they are, they are hybrids. And to that, I would say the two animals that create a liger, a lion, and a tiger, they're a part of the cat kind. That's why they can interbreed. The same thing with a zorse, a zebra and a horse. They're a part of the horse kind. Okay, that's why you get mules and all these different variations within the kind from the evidence bible irrefutable evidence microevolution is observable while macroevolution takes a tremendous leap of faith if christians had as much faith in god as atheists have in the theory of evolution we would see revival this is what genesis 126 and 27 says Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then the Lord God formed. This is Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. We were created on purpose, for a purpose, by an intelligent designer whose name is God. We are not here by chance and random processes. Okay, what's the Big Bang Theory? Not the TV show. The Big Bang Theory is... Typically, an evolutionaries, an evolutionist's idea of the origin of the universe. And according to NASA, this is the definition, the Big Bang is the broadly accepted theory of, for the origin and evolution of our universe. 12 to 14 billion years ago, the visible universe was only a few millimeters across. It expanded from this hot, dense state into the vast cosmos we currently inhabit. Okay. So in other words, the Big Bang occurred from closely compacted matter that exploded 12 to 14 billion years ago. Okay, let me ask you this. When has an explosion ever created anything besides chaos and death? If I pull the pin on a grenade and throw it into my garage, does a brand new Chevy Silverado trail boss appear? No. And now I'm left with a shattered garage and an upset wife. (laughs) Or try this experiment. Empty your garage of everything you've got in it. Make sure there's nothing in there. Then wait 10 years and see if a brand new Harley Davidson appears. If it doesn't, try it for 20 years. If it doesn't, try it for 100 years. If it doesn't, work for 10,000... Maybe this is the number for the evolutionists who want to empty their garage and see if a Harley-Davidson appears. Try it for 12 to 14 billion years. Explosions cannot create order. Nothing has ever made itself. Everything that is made has to have something outside of it that cannot be affected by that which was made. The The effect cannot be the cause. Evolutionists say that the Big Bang created the universe we know now. The Big Bang was the effect, not the cause. Okay, then, what was the cause? Evolutionists would say that the cause was matter that was compacted together that then exploded. Okay, where did the matter come from? If you set a glass of water on a counter and then leave the kitchen, come back to the kitchen, and saw that the glass of water was tipped over and spilled all over the place, what would you say? Who or what knocked over this glass of water? Because why? The effect of the glass of water being knocked over cannot also be the cause, Something outside of the glass of water is required in order for the glass of water to be knocked over. That is called the universal law of cause and effect. For every effect, there is a cause. So the universe exploding into existence according to the universal law of cause and effect is impossible. Henry M. Morris. My dad gave me this book the biblical basis for modern science. This is what it says. The first cause of limitless space must be infinite. The first cause of endless time must be eternal. The first cause of boundless energy must be omnipotent. The first cause of infinite complexity must be omniscient. The first cause of love must be loving. And the first cause of life must be living. Therefore... The first cause of the universe must have been an infinite, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, personal, volitional, holy, loving, and living being. Explosions. Never create order, an intelligent designer whose name is God, created the universe out of nothing and brought it to order. In the Hebrew, the word for formless and void, which the earth was at the beginning, the the phrase is tohu vavohu, which means chaotic nothingness. A Hebrew that I listened to a podcast he says. This is how I like to explain tohu vavohu. If you take nothing and put it into a blender and hit whip, that is chaotic nothingness. And our Western mind would say, but you put nothing in the blender. But a Hebrew's mind would say, exactly, it's even chaotic nothingness. Genesis 1-1, what's the Bible say about all this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, in the beginning, God is Bereshit Barah Elohim, which means in the beginning, this is literally what it means, in the beginning, created God. Not a big bang. Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Hebrews 11, chapter 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Okay. This next thing I'm going to touch on briefly, but this is extremely important. Have you ever heard of the term theistic evolution? Okay, a few of us. I'm about to help you out here. This is important because this is how believers begin to compromise what man says and what God says. Theistic evolution is this. The idea that a living organism came about by the process of evolution that Darwin proposed, but that God guided that process so that the result was just what he wanted it to be. That is theistic evolution. Folks, that diminishes the work of God. If the clear teaching of Scripture is that God's work is purposeful, that is, it was on purpose and has a purpose, then that does not fit with the randomness and chance that evolution requires. If the, okay, if the main force of evolution is randomness and God is a God of order, then theistic evolution would go completely against the character of God. Belief in God does not fit with belief in evolution. If you think it does, you are compromising what God says and what man says. So that you don't have to take a stance on one of them. What does the Bible say about this? If we are here by random and not here on purpose for a purpose, then we are here by accident. And that would disagree with what my Bible says in Psalms 57:2. I cry out to God the most high, the God who fills his purpose for my life. This shows that I'm not here by accident. I'm here for a purpose. If we're here by random, then that disagrees with what my Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The Greek word for workmanship is poema, and that's where we get our word poem. So, the word poiema literally means a product, which means we are the product of God. We are the product of God's creation and design. If we are here by random, then that would disagree with what Psalms 139.13 says. You formed my inward parts and you knitted me together. The driving force in the development of new life is not randomness. It is an intelligent designer whose name is God. I explained to you a lot of terms. I went through a lot of crazy examples. If there's one thing that you get from me this morning, this is it. Evolution is a story made by man in order to exclude God from his life. The world does not want to submit or surrender their life to God. Therefore, they need to come up with theories and ideas so they don't have to include him. They didn't just get rid of God in the school systems by not allowing prayer. They got rid of God in the school systems by teaching this to your students. And we're all so focused on, man, they took prayer out of school. What are we going to But they're not looking at what they are teaching you in science class. What's the Bible say about this? Romans chapter one twenty five. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. People tend to live lives that reinforce their own selfish and personal beliefs. And today... More than ever, we need to be careful about the input that we believe, or about the input that we allow to form our beliefs. With TV, with music, with movies, and the rest of the media that is presenting a sinful lifestyle, we find ourselves constantly bombarded with attitudes and beliefs totally opposed to the Bible and doctrines and theories that exclude God. Be careful about what you allow to form your opinions. The Bible is the only standard of truth. Evaluate all other opinions in light of the Bible's teaching. Romans chapter 1, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Claiming to know where the universe has come from. Claiming to know where man has come from. Claiming to know the evolutionary process of the things that we have gone through in order to be at the state that we are at now. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Psalms 14.1 says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There's none who does good. If the creator is removed, then accountability is removed. If I'm not accountable to God who created me, then I'm my own God. I'm the one on the throne of my life. And I can remove and exclude God from my life in whatever ways and situations that I deem best. Because I'm no longer accountable to Him, therefore I'm my own God. I determine what is true and what's false, right or wrong. And John Bizzagno put it like this. Teach people they came from animals, they will live like animals. So, my question for you this morning is that what are you compromising? What areas are you compromising man's word with God's word? Are you compromising the fact that, man, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe I am a liar, maybe I am a cheater, maybe I am a thief. Maybe I am anxious, maybe I am stressed. Maybe Are you compromised? Yeah, maybe that's right. And I know God says this about me, but I don't wanna take a side and I don't... Friends, the key to my deliverance, the key to my freedom that I've experienced in my life was not compromising man's word and God's word. It was buying into the fact that I was created by a man named Jesus who loved me, who formed me, who died for me, who delivered me, who said, I'm not going to leave you in the way that you were, but I'm going to take you out of it and bring you into something that is new. What areas are you allowing man's word to have more influence over you than God's word? And just real quick, I'm, I'm, this is my last thing, and then we're going to pray. In Genesis chapter 3. The serpent comes to Eve. Did God really say? And then the fall happens. And then God is in the midst of the garden. Where are you? Where are you? Adam, Eve, where are you? And then he finds them. and then God says to him, this is the question that he asked him. Who told you that you were naked? Of all the things that God could have said to Adam and Eve, He said, "Who told you that you were naked?" As a parent, I'm not a parent. As um, if I were to put myself in my mom and dad's shoes, and I did something drastic like that, I could probably think of ten other things that they would ask me instead of "Who told you you were naked?" So what is this getting at? What this is getting at is God is saying to them by asking them, who told you that you were naked? What voice have you allowed to influence your life that's not my voice? What voice are you allowing to influence your life that's not God's lo- or That's not God's voice? He gives you your identity. Stop listening to what everybody else says about you. He knows you better than they do because he created you so if you would stand with me this morning with your eyes closed would you be honest with yourself would you be honest with me yeah there's been some areas that I've compromised man's word with God's word just let me see your hand Come on, I've compromised what God says about me with what man says about me. Keep your hand up, keep your hand up, keep your hand up because I'm going to pray for you. I've compromised. And I've allowed people to say things over me that were not from God, and I accepted it, and I came into agreement with lies. So God, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that you break off the lies in the name of Jesus about these things that have been spoken over the people with their hands raised this morning. I pray, God, that their identity comes from you. I pray, God, that they begin to listen to you. I pray, God, that they begin to open up your word and find out about what their identity is in you because you created them, Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you. And as we go from here this morning, we pray, God, that we will begin to understand and see about who created us, why we were created, and let us go forth and proclaim the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.